So the kids are taking off now, I think. I'm going to be in Acts chapter 20, if you want to turn it in your scriptures. Um, now, Tracy, you're killing me. How long, how long do you think I've been here? No, too long. <laughs> That's all right, I forgive you. <laughs> oh, dear. So it's good to see you. I'm glad you showed up this morning. Uh, got my uh, son and my other son. Chris, you want to stand so people know who you are? I think they've seen you before. My son, Chris. And uh, Derek and Bertha, you want to stand? And uh, and uh, the little ones, are they all there? Just one, they all went down. Who's with you, Boo Boo? Oh, Mule? Okay. Okay, well, the other ones went downstairs, I guess, so that's all right. I can't embarrass them <laughs> like I'd like to do. Um, so I wanted to say, Tim and uh, Lisa, you know, when we do our Shake and Howdies, when we were with, they're the ones that, they, they write that music for In Between, so they've done a real, you know, I was listening today when I heard that you were, you were the author of those things. So thank you for, for taking the energy and the time to do all that. Uh, we've got several guests that are here. Andy, uh, back there with his, his family. Uh, actually, next week, uh, this is the last time I'm going to be preaching, but next week Andy and I are going to do some things together. So we'll, we'll be here next, year, next week still, and next year Next week still, and uh, we're, we're not sure what that's going to be, but, but you will be the recipients <laughs> of that. So I thought about it. So I was talking with Sue this week, and she says, I know what you're going to preach on. I know what you're going to preach on. I said, what am I going to preach on? She says, you're going to preach on keep yourself in the love of God. And I, and I thought to myself, well, if, if I was, I'm not now because... I don't like to be predictable. So, but but th those friends that I have that are from the Mount Clemens Church will remember um, that my father preached on that from the book of Jude on his last day at the church there in Mount Clemens. Uh, keep yourself in the love of God. But a good thought, nevertheless. Keep yourself in the love of God. Uh, I'm going to uh, speak uh, perhaps a little differently uh, this morning. Uh, we're in the 20th chapter of the book of Acts and beginning with verse 36. If you have your Bibles, I hope you do. Let's stand together for the reading. Oh, I wanted to share. I, my wife's not here, so I said put her picture there, so now she's here for now. So uh, I miss her. So, okay. Acts 20. This is about St. Paul. And when he had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. And they all wept as they embraced him, kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. And then we're in the next chapter. After we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. 
The next day we went to Rhodes and from there to Petraea. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went on board and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed to Syria. We landed at Tyre, where our ship was unloaded of its cargo. Finding the disciples there, we stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. But when our time was up, we left and continued on our way. All the disciples and their wives and their children accompanied us out to the city. And there on the beach, we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship. They returned home. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at Polytimus, where we greeted the brothers and stayed with them all the day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and staying at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. Lord, add his blessing to the reading of Scripture. Please be seated. Let's, let's say this together, shall we? The grass withers, the flowers fade, the word of our God. Yeah. If you want to know anything about the traits of Christ, our Lord, they're all seen in how he designed the church, who he designed us to be. All of his traits are actually found in the second chapter of the book of, of Acts. And what I want to look at today is mentioned in Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to fellowship, Christian fellowship with one another. The word fellowship has been really trivialized. When you think of fellowship, you think of uh, punch and cookies and being in the fellowship hall or touring the Holy Land with a bus of of Sunday school class and having great fellowship together. But biblically, it always points to Christian community. Fellowship is Christian community. It's a better word. It's a better word. The experience of Jesus creates Christian community. It, it, it's like, to use another word that's not really better, but it's just difference. It has a different feel to it. And I think the Bible teaches us that the gospel of Jesus creates and calls us to spiritual community, spiritual friendships, lasting spiritual friendships. The gospel of Jesus Christ does not send you deeper into the heart of God than you've ever experienced before. It actually goes beyond that. The richness of who he is and it also sends you deeper into a relationship that you have with those who are around you, the people of God, the church of God, brothers and sisters in the Lord, and gives you relationships beyond what you ever, ever thought were possible. They're real. They're lasting. And many times they're humbling. They're humbling. I'll give you an example of that, and some of my friends will recognize this, I'm sure. I was called to the hospital one evening years ago to a gentleman, his name was, uh, was Howard. And uh, he was, at that time, the end of life. And uh, he called, and I went up. It was, it, was, it was about one in the morning, and we were there. And, uh, and I knew him well. I've known him a long, long time. And uh, he, was, he was passing away, 
And he uh, was at the bedside and he says, Pastor, um, come here. Come close. So I went close and uh, he reached over and he grabbed something. He says, here, Pastor, I want you to have this. And he gave me this. He said, this is my knife. This is his knife. My pocket knife. I still have it. Uh, he passed. Some years later, I received a call from the family and said, Tom, mom has passed away and she wanted you to do the eulogy. Can you come? And uh, I had known, the fa- I know the family backwards and forwards. I've known them well for years. So I'm getting up and I'm talking to them and I'm telling them how well I know everyone and how close I am to everyone and we have a special relationship and that that Howard and his wife and I were extremely close, extremely fond of each other and we've done a lot of things together and we were good friends. We were good friends. And Howard gave me his knife. So I'm thinking this is special. Gave me his knife. And after the service, one of the grandkids came up to me and said, can I see the knife? And I said, yeah. So I took it out of my pocket and I handed it to him. And he looks at it and he says, uh, yeah, Grandpa gave these to all of us. <laughs> He's got a drawer full of them. Sometimes friends get you uh, beyond this life, you know. Very, very, very humbling. Uh, But humbling is needed. We need to be humbled with one another. So we read this, and did you think while I'm reading it, what's he he doing? What's what's this all about? It's a travel log. You know, it's a travel log. So uh, this is all about, actually, this is all about spiritual friendships. And there's four things that he talks about here that I think are extremely important. First of all, he's saying that these spiritual friendships that we have are needed. They're needed. I need friends. I need friends. Something is happening in Paul's life here, and you don't really see it unless you look at the whole book of Acts and read through the whole book of Acts. And starting here, Paul's life begins to change forever. Really change. And all the life comes rushing into him at this time, and he, now things start to just unravel. There's trouble after trouble after trouble. Before this, Paul's sort of in charge of his life. He's running the show. He's in charge of his life. But in 20, beginning with verse 22, uh, we didn't read it, Paul says, the Spirit of God has shown him he needs to go to Jerusalem. He needs to go to Jerusalem. And he knows that if he goes to Jerusalem, he's going to be arrested. He's going to be imprisoned. And that's exactly what happens. And the rest of his life, it's one trial after another. One narrow escape after another. An attack on his life again and again. Danger. One more again and again and again. And it's totally out of his control. And starting here, you're going to see he depends an enormous amount. He, he, he needs his friends around him. Look carefully. 
at what this says here. Everywhere he goes, from this point on, he's surrounded by his friends. Notice that in the book of Acts. He's surrounded by his friends. He's spending hours and hours. They're weeping together. They're praying together. They're discussing together. They're arguing together. They're talking together. And suddenly, he begins to swim with his friends, all these friends that he has in his life. What does this tell us? And here's the first lesson for us as a people of God to need, to want deep friendships. Deep friendships. It's not a sign of spiritual immaturity. It's a sign of maturity in Christ. It's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of health, that you're healthy. When Adam was created, in Genesis 2, we go back to the New Old Testament, we have one of the great theological weirdnesses that ever happens. Chapter 3 is where sin enters the world. Chapter 3 is where, where bad things begin to happen from then on. And in Genesis 1 and 2, we see humanity fall. Chapters 1 and 2, everything's great. Everything's wonderful. Everything's perfect. In those first two chapters, we see God saying it's over and over again, this is good, this is good, this is good, this is good. I created, this is good, and it's good. Over and over and over, he says it. And then suddenly, we get to the one thing, before sin comes into the world, one thing God says is not good. It's not good. Adam is alone. Adam is alone. And here's what this means. Adam was not lonely because he was imperfect. He was lonely because he was perfect. He was perfect. The ache for friends and having friends in your life is the one ache that is not the result of sin. Every other ache, every other longing that Adam ever had, every ache that human beings have, the, the hunger ache, the sickness, the guilt ache, the, the lack of meaning ache, they all come from sin. This one ache that's, is part of his perfection. God made us. God made us in such a way that we need friends. We need friends in our life. Let's apply this. First, if you're lonely. If you're lonely. If you want more friends. If you want closer friends. You're not dysfunctional. You're lonely because you're not a tree. <laughs> you're lonely because you're not a machine. You're lonely because you're built that way. You're created that way. It's also an age problem. It's an age problem. Uh, now I've got to be careful here. S some of us have learned through semi-conscious decisions, semi-conscious decisions that we make 
not to want, not to need friends in our life. You know, we're, we're an island, or we can handle, you know, the, there are all kinds of reasons why this happens. Friends move away, and it hurts, so we kind of close in, you know, we don't want to get started again, you know, uh, but it's also an age problem. As you get older, you realize how much time friends take, how much time it takes to be a friend, or people let you down, or they've disappointed you, or they've hurt you, and uh, I think... I think it's semi-conscious because I, I have ever, never heard someone say, uh, I, I don't need friends. I've not heard someone say that. I think it's semi-conscious that we do this. Not to have friends is hard on your heart. You see, the less you want people, the less you want friends, the less you're like God. That's a fact. The less you're like God, the less you're like Jesus. Jesus had, he had the 12, but he had, beyond that, other friends. But the 12 never really understood him, did they? They didn't understand who Christ, they, they could, our soul full is that he was constantly sharing his thoughts with them, constantly ministering to them in their life. His deepest heart, he's ministering to his friends who didn't even get it till after Pentecost. Didn't even get it. In Luke 12, Jesus says, I'm just going to use this, I have a baptism of fire to undergo. And how distressed I am until it happens. What's he doing? What's that mean? What do you think they thought? It? I've got a fire. i got a baptism. I, I, he's always sharing himself, his thoughts. He's speaking to people. He's, please come and pray with me. Please come and pray with me. If you don't need people, if you're afraid of accountability, and there was a time with Annie and I, we, we, we had accountability to different things in our lives with each other. If you're afraid of people looking inside, afraid of people nosing into your business if you're afraid of love. The less like God you are, the less like Jesus you are. Now think, what is the purpose of creation? What is the purpose of redemption? The, redempt, the whole story of redemption. What is the purpose of everything God has done since creation? to make us friends, to make us his friend, to make us friends with one another. You decide, I think it's just not worth it, not worth it. I don't need people. Look at what you're doing to yourself. Please, let yourself need people in your life. And here's the thing. When you're in trouble, it's too late. You know, very few people walk around and say, you know, I, I love air. I like, I like air. I like the air. What good would my brain be without, without air? What good, I, what good would food be without air? You know, what, what, I, I, I don't walk around saying, air, all oh my air, air, air. You know, no. 
but you start to feel that way about air when you're underwater. Air! Air! Right? Right? You don't walk around a lot of times saying, I need friends, I need friends, I need friends, until emotionally and personally you go under. You ever been there? I have. And then it's too late. It's too late. You don't have them. Spiritual friends, you need them. You need them. Second thing, spiritual friends, and this, this, is, this is something that came from secular uh, literature as well. Spiritual friends are discovered, not just made. They're discovered, not just made. One of the things Bible commentaries point out about this passage of Scripture, that when Paul gets to Tyre, he's coming to a church that he didn't plant. This was not one of his. He didn't plant this church. Uh, he didn't start this church. And he's meeting with Christians that he probably never met before. He's sailing into the, the, this, this, uh, this uh, cove, and he's meeting with people that had started a church there. He never met them before. And they somehow feel it's their rights <laughs> to say to him, Paul, in this argument about going to Jerusalem, you're wrong. You're wrong about going to Jerusalem. They, they confront him and to say to him, through the Spirit, don't go. And that's what it says in verse 4. Through the Spirit, don't go to Jerusalem. This is a big problem for a lot of people in Scripture. So they're getting involved in his life, and they don't even know who he is. They're getting involved in decision-making, big decisions in his life. And astonishingly, Paul lets them. He's, he doesn't say, how dare you? Who are you? How dare you? The point is people you have no natural affinity with. If you share Jesus together, there's a bond that exerts itself in that relationship. Even non-Christians understood this. You know, one of the greatest works written on friendship was written by Cicero, the, the, the pagan Roman philosopher. He understood that the very essence of friendship is not to look at each other but to look at something else that you have in common. What do you have in common with people? What do I have in common with you? you know, what makes you a friend is not what you're saying. So you want a relationship with me? You want to have a relationship? Friends can't be made out of nothing. Friends can't be made out of nothing. There has to be something common. There has to be a common passion, some common adoration that we have. In Christ, we have an incredible possibility. Twice, Paul kneels here and prays. Right here, you have a, a, a physical picture of spiritual friendship. And if you're both kneeling before the same God, if you're both adoring the same God, that pulls you together in astounding ways, unbelievable ways. Over and over and over, the Bible says the most formative experience you can have is an experience of the grace of God in your life. And when that comes, this is what's great. This is what's great. There's a friendship that comes. 
There's a deep friendship that comes. I'll even use the word automatic. You, you meet with another person that's a Christian, there's something automatic that happens there. Uh, and I'm going to show you this. In Ephesians 4, you don't have to turn to it, I'll put it up on the screen. In verse 3, the, the scripture says, um, maintain the spirit. It actually endeavoring to keep the spirit, the unity, maintain that, keep it, preserve it. But it doesn't say attain it, you know. Attain that unity in the body. It says maintain it. It's there. That unity is there. Maintain it. If you have another Christian that you're with, maintain that unity that you have. You can't create it. God creates it. You maintain it. You maintain it. You can be a steward of it. It's a gift. It's a gift of God. And it's there when two people fall in love with Jesus. They're becoming friends no matter who they used to be. You, you, now you hear me here. In, in, this, in this world in which we're in right now, which is so fragmented, so fragmented, when two people fall in love with Jesus Christ, they're kneeling before him, they're becoming friends, no matter what they used to be. No matter who they used to be. All kinds of different people, rich, poor, black, white, female, male, we're all a part of the human community. There are people that normally you would not associate with. But when Christ happens, when Christ happens, when you're kneeling together and worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ, that makes you a brother, that makes you a sister with the nerdiest nerd. Who also loves kneeling before Jesus. It means there's a bond. You don't have sometimes with your own family. You're a Christian first. You're a Christian first. And you're anything else second. And it doesn't matter who your ancestors were. It doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter your experience. It doesn't matter. If you experience grace, you find yourself not just sort of getting along, but loving people. You love people. You love people. And you love people that before you never wanted in your life. That's one of the ways you know something happened to you, right? It's one of the ways you know you're different now. You, it's, there's been a change. You want more friends. You want more friends. Let your friendship with God overwhelm you. Let it overwhelm you. One of the reasons why people come to certain folks and open up is that there's a peace, there's a poise, there's a, there's a love there, there's a joy, there's an attraction there inside. And people flock, people go to those, those people. Uh, there's this great irony, if you will, Make friendship with God more important than friendship with people, and the people will want to get close to you. Make friendship with God more important than friendship with people, and people will want to get close to you. Spiritual friendship is discovered, not made. And that's true with pastors as well. Uh, 
Anyone can put together a sermon. Really. There's skills to it. There's mechanics to it. Anyone can put together a message. But does that person, does that pastor have a friendship with Jesus? That's attractive. That's attractive. And then the third thing here, spiritual friendship, and I'm going to go flip-flop here, is made, not just discovered. There's more to it than that. Someone says, well, that's kind of a contradiction. No, it's a tension. There's a tension in Scripture here. In a sense, the gospel gives you the raw material, you know, to be friends. Sculptors know this, right? God gives them raw material, but then you've got an awful lot of work to do. You get the raw material for things. You have a lot to, you, you look carefully at the word koinonia. It used to be a big word back in the 60s and 70s, koinonia. You know, we talked a lot about that in the church. And it always translated into fellowship. What it actually means is to share. Koinonia means to share. If you want friendships, you got to share. And you got to share your life. First, you share your feelings, you know. Look at here, they look at him, they're on the beach here with Paul, and it says, they wept, they kissed, and oh, now see here, these two knuckleheads, and I see Kevin back there too, Kevin, these are taking, the, the, the photographer came for the uh, school pictures, so they say, and they, they, they plan this, you know, I know how they think. They said, Tom, let's all have a picture together. You sit in the middle. <laughs> and then they went, one, two, three, and there they came. And, and it, I don't know how much they paid the photographer. She was in on it, too. Uh, I'm not advocating this, this uh, guessing stuff. Uh, but you can't have spiritual friendships when you don't share feelings with each other. Secondly, they share their stuff, you know, like a knife. They share their stuff. You notice Paul was saying with people, people opened their homes to him. He was living with people. They opened their homes. They fed him. They took care of him. You can't be friends unless you're willing to share things. Then thirdly, you share faith. They were constantly talking about Jesus, constantly talking about the Lord, constantly praying. They're on the beach praying. They're in the village praying. They're praying. There's this great place in Hebrews 3.13 that says, encourage. The word there is exhort. I put it up there. Exhort one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Exhort one another. That word exhort means to preach to each other. Allow people to preach to you. Preach to one another. Preaching the gospel, it's, it's, it's not spiritual friendship unless you're preaching to each other. You're talking to each other. You have to let some people into your life that are going to preach at you. They have the privilege of pressing into you. That know you that well. And fourth, this is fascinating, verse 4 the Spirit had given them enough insight to say, if you go on to Jerusalem, Paul, 
That's the end of your missionary journeys. It's all done. You go in there, that's, that's your career. And they urge him, right? They urge him not to go. Don't go. Now, if you go back to the 20th chapter in 22, you see Paul says the Spirit, Paul says the Spirit told me to go, right? The Spirit told me to go. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem. And some people get really confused by this. It's not a very confusing passage, actually. But they're arguing with him. They're arguing with him. At one point in, in the 21st chapter, in verse 12, it says, we and the people there pleaded with Paul, do not go to Jerusalem. Verse 13, Paul answers, why are you crying about this? Why are you weeping? Break, you're breaking my heart. Stop it. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm ready not only to be bound in Jerusalem, I'm ready to die for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm ready to go. And then verse 14, when he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, okay, the Lord's will be done. That's where we all go, right? <laughs> Lord's will be done. That's what you want to do. Notice they didn't say, the Spirit told us you should go. You're disobeying the Spirit. And he didn't say, look, the Spirit said this to me. The Spirit told me that I have to do this and whatnot. If there's any view of the Spirit's guidance in your life that is so mechanistic that it's this, 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 this. This is how it is. This is how it is. It leaves you the whole process of friendship out. And friendship with other Christians, you know, the, the iron sharpening iron attitude of Scripture, of really being open to one another, if that's left out, be careful. Be careful. Anyone who doesn't understand that does not understand the power of Christian friendship. The power of Christian friends. There's no unilateral decision-making going on. Paul never said, mind your own business. Mind your own business. He doesn't ever say that to Christians. And, and he didn't hardly know these people entire. He didn't know who they were. Mind your own business. What do you, you don't know me. You know? When you're not a friend unless you let people into your business. You people have been in my business a long time. Uh, Loris, I like it. I like it. I like it. You're not a friend if you continue to say, the Lord said to me, and you have to obey what I'm telling you. You have to obey what I'm telling you. You're also not a friend if you refuse to let people say, I think you're wrong, Tom. I think what you're doing is absolutely, I've had people tell me that. And they were right. And I was wrong. And I suffered. You have to listen. You have to share decisions. And I can't count the number of times I've been told I'm wrong. Lastly, you have to share your time. You share your time, you share your heart, you share your life. There's one more thing. I had to read this thing 20 times before I, I saw this. And I'm looking at it, and I'm looking at it, and I'm looking at it, and I'm looking at verse Acts 21, 15, talking to, that uses the word we. You ever see that there? We. Who are, who are we here? Who are we? 
Paul says, if I go to Jerusalem, I'm probably going to be executed. And everyone else says, well, if, if we go to Jerusalem, he's probably going to be imprisoned and executed. But Luke goes ahead. Luke is, is the one. It's Luke. If we go with you, we're going to get executed. And whoever else is there, there's another little group that's there. If we go, you're going to get in prison. We're going to get, it's going to cause trouble for us. And he's going to Jerusalem with Paul. Why would he do something that stupid? We know what's going to happen to you. Let's go. Let's go. Why would he do so? Especially when you have some doubts at the very beginning about the veracity of this trip. Because that's what friends do. They run into the fire. They run into the fire with you. Luke is committed. A friend shares commitment. A friend shares life. A friend says, I'll be there through thick and thin. If your friendship is built on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will have the most powerful, deep friendship relationship you could possibly have. The last thing I want to say. Michael W. Smith, and I, I put it on the flyer that I wrote. He wrote this song it's in the late 90s. Friends are friends forever. Friends are friends forever if the Lord's the Lord of them. Forever. <laughs> Surprise. You can annoy me a little bit longer. You have to read the whole book of Acts. Luke, again and again, is showing Christians saying goodbye. I mean, really, the whole book of Acts. Christians saying goodbye to each other, saying goodbye. You'll never see me again. And yet there's a poise, there's a peace, you know. And here's why. No other religion, listen to me, no other religion believes friendships last. Eastern religions say when you die, you go into impersonal whatever, you're absorbed. Secularism says when you die, you rot. You rot. You go back to Proverbs 8, and you will see it talks about the Father and the Son and the Spirit. They're there together, and they're creating together, and they're delighted with one another, and they're doing this together. It's the Father, and there's this relationship. God is the ultimate relationship. The Bible says relationships and friendships were the reason that we were made. You were made for this. Our creation is a result of the cosmic friendship we have with God. There's an awful but a wonderful American folk song that I'm going to end with. It's about a woman who's sitting on a beach. And it goes like this. Oh, where is my sailor boy? Where is my sailor boy? He sleeps at the bottom of the deep blue sea, and he cannot come back to me. I stand on the beach alone and gaze at the misty blue, deep sea, as you hold him to your breast. Does he mention my name to you? Oh, please, please, tell me, deep blue sea, is he sleeping peacefully? The winds from the north are blowing icy cold, can you keep him warm for me? If only my grieving soul some token of love can find. And if only the waves would tell me where he sleeps, 
then I'd leave this world behind. Now here's a woman, her husband, her love, whatever has been drowned, and she's talking to the sea as if the sea is a person. She thinks of him not as chemicals, but he's still there. He's still there. Somebody that she desires to relate to. She yearns for the idea of eternal friendship. But the chorus every time, it's a great song, the chorus every time says, well, what does the deep sea say? What does the deep sea say? It moans, it groans, it splashes and it foams and rolls on its weary way. You know why? Because the sea isn't personal. It's not a person, it's not personal. The sea can't keep him warm at night, can't keep him until she gets there. She's asking and the answer of the sea is, I don't care, I don't care. I don't care. When Jonathan Edwards was dying in the 1700s, his wife was so far away he couldn't get to her, so he dictated a letter through his daughter Lucy. And here's what he said. My love, my wife, give my love to my dear wife. Tell her that the uncommon union which has so long subsisted between us has been of such a nature as I trust it is spiritual and it will continue forever. And he walks with me. And he talks with me. That's what you were doing, right? And he tells me I am his own. And the love we share. And he walks with me. What a friend I have in Jesus. What a friend I have in Jesus. In John 15, Jesus says, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends, right? I call you friends. All of creation is about redeeming love. It's all about that. All of creation, making us friends with one another. Redemption is about making friends. Christianity says life is about friendships, people. As we go to the Lord's Supper, which we're going to do real quickly here, the Lord's Supper is all about unity. It's all about unity. First of all, I suggest if you have a friendship to repair, this is the time to do it. Swallow your pride. Swallow your pride. Jesus says, if you know you have something between you and someone else, leave your gift at the altar and go and take care of that. Don't, don't take the Lord's Supper until you get your friend back. You have a friendship you have to repair? And don't tell me you can't do this. Don't, don't tell me that. Is it about money? Is it about a harsh word? I'm going to tell you something. I, I don't talk about this much. It's not something I'm proud of. Um, and you know that I've been 
I'm previously married. And uh, before I had came back into ministry and was talking about that, I asked people who were the gatekeepers to that kind of thing. I said, you know, I, I will not go back into ministry unless you speak to my former wife. And she agrees. And they did. Because we'd already gotten together and prayed with each other, cried with each other, lifted up Christ together. And unbeknownst to this congregation, when she traveled down here to her husband's family's home, which is in Brighton, she would come and sit in the congregation. And we shared. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. Go for forgiveness every time. Go for grace every time. Be connected to Almighty God. When we share together in communion, this is powerful and this is real. This is real. And some of you, by the way, who are married, you need to ask God, show me how to make my spouse my best friend. Make my spouse my best friend. Again, or maybe for the first time. Make this supper, because it is. Make it about friendship. Friendship. Friendship with him. Friendship with one another. We're forever friends. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for the friendships we have in this church, this congregation. We're thankful for what it means to be centered in Christ. That I love him, that we love him. And together you begin to change our hearts and speak to us. Thank you for the years that we spent. Thankful, Lord, for the time yet to be. We ask as we share together in this communion that we recognize the power of, of, of Christ. The power of Christ. The power of that friendship that we have with him that reaches in the lives of other people. No is not an option. There's an eternal yes in Christ Jesus. Yes, yes, Lord. Yes, I'll do that. Yes, I'll, I'll follow you. Yes, I'll give this to you. I'm not going to hold this any longer. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Forgive me. Forgive my foolish pride. Forgive us when we fail each other. Thank you for walking with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.